Hello again, and welcome to another Valewood podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And this is the Silicon Valley Review. So today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 7, Initial Coin Offering. The episode description says, Richard gets unsettling news. Guilfoyle suggests a risky proposition, and Dinesh tries to compete with a coworker. Aaron, Silicon Valley, back on track. I loved this episode. Yes. Your initial thoughts? Very relevant. It did a good job of minimizing Dinesh's role in the plot line, which I enjoyed. Overall, a solid episode. And I feel like we called this. Yes. We absolutely discussed this when we were trying to set up the utility, the trading, right? Right. Of the the credits. So I guess that's probably not... First of all, put on our backs, right? We called it. But on the other hand... I don't know if there's many topics bigger in the tech world right now than ICOs. Yeah. Look, I thought it was awesome. First of all, I thought the way Guilfoyle explained the way ICOs work was super clear. Right. Made a lot of sense. The fact that they're just a reflection of value. Guilfoyle didn't come out and say, oh, we have to do this because they're they're amazing. There's this underlying tech behind it. He just said, hey, there's a market out there. If people are willing to do it, then who are we to tell them? Yeah. All right, so I know we're kind of jumping to the middle of it, but I was very excited about this episode. I don't know if the whole thing, the whole show, you know, is back on track, but this was the first really good episode. I also like this whole Bream Hall, you know, VC versus ICO dynamic. Okay, let's get to that. Let me take a step back, Aaron. So it starts off and they are about to complete their $30 million Series B. Yes. Which I feel like is what we talked about. Yep. It's almost the exact number Mm -hmm. we uh, forecasted. And Monica says, you're not going to have to sell any ads or harvest any user data, right? That was fantastic. That was really, really neat because as we've been discussing the new internet or learning more about it, we haven't really talked about what their revenue model is. Yeah. Have they talked about their revenue model? No, but I think we talked about last time how we haven't seen them generating any revenue, which is a little confusing because if they're raising a Series B, at least in Texas... If you're going out and raising a Series A, I feel like you've already generated a good amount of revenue. And so if they're a pre-revenue company, which it sounds like they are, and they're raising a Series B, that, that seems pretty far along for a non-revenue I think company. Twitter raised upwards of $100 million without without any revenue. Okay. And without even knowing what their idea is. Yeah, but I put Twitter in a different category because their user base was so large. Like, so it's, that's the thing. I feel like if you're not generating revenues, you need to have significant user. Right. You need to be acquiring dollars or customers, right. right? I think that's the formula. And they're not doing either one of these things. So they're kind of just acquiring technology, Yeah, I guess. Or they're acquiring, they're building a moat around whoever's going to be next after right. them. That is a really interesting conversation, Aaron, about you know how are they valuing themselves? I don't know if they'll get into it here. For those of you who are listening, like we just mentioned, you need to be getting dollars or for most of you, you need to be getting dollars. A few of you, if you're getting a significant number of users, then that can be really valuable. But Aaron, there's probably some sort of playbook for companies who are really just IP heavy, for instance, like a biotech company right, right? Yeah. they're getting patent after patent or yeah i think in the biospace area if you're getting patents or you're clearing fda approvals or think, tests right. or whatever then yeah that makes sense i guess there needs to be there need to be some milestones that are being reached whether it's revenue users patents whatever it is you need to be able to show to your investors hey look you know i raised a series a here's what i did with that money this is why it's a good value proposition for you to invest your money into my company. 
Well, they did a good job of bringing the show back to what I think are real Silicon Valley problems. And so maybe they'll get into this. They're now breaching the subject of VC versus, you know, raising money by a token offering. Be interested to see if they get into how are we valuing Pied Piper right. at some point. Yeah. And I thought they did a good job of positioning or explaining the benefit of an ICO over raising money from a VC. They did a great job. And I want to dive into that. One more point on the $30 million Series B when Monica says, we're not going to make you harvest your user data. Can we explain to our listeners what does that mean when they're talking about harvesting user data? Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this real time, it's Cambridge Analytica. It is right. taking user data. They all, the old adage is, if you're not paying for a service, then you know, you're know you not the user, you're the product. So basically, a service like Facebook or like Twitter or like Instagram, if you're using their services for free, it's probably because that company wants to have access to your data. They want to know demographic information about you. They want to know what your interests are because then they can go out and sell that to advertisers. Even as granular as what browser are you using right. at what day, right? Or, that can tell. Where you're logging where, in from. Exactly. Or yeah. if you're moving around, right? They right. can track you, you know. Didn't it just come out recently that Google can tell where you've been like over the last 10 yeah. years or something like yeah. that? Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is it's like here in Dallas, we've had that issue with all of those bike shares. Right. That's a, that is a data grab. Right. Those companies... The, the bikes are loss leaders, and they're just out there so that they can collect data from users. They collect it. They go sell it to a a real estate investor right. who wants to know where are people generally traveling or and, what are retail and, trends going to look and, like. And, you know, okay, so we're 25-year-old males, right. you know, riding bicycles to and from. Yeah. So. Yeah. Everything's for sale. Uh, so, Monica says that we're not going to do that. Let's see. Moving on through the episode. Okay. So, let's just focus on the ICO for a second, Aaron. Okay. So, Guilfoy wants to launch a cryptocurrency. Like I mentioned, he had a, a great explanation of the monetary systems and how it ties into ICO. He put together a PowerPoint, which we only saw one or two slides. It looked sharp AF, yeah. right? Yeah. I would really like to see that entire PowerPoint I, presentation. I am shocked that somebody like Guilfoyle would put together something as slick looking as I that. thought that was a real like big line for the company when he says, I put together a PowerPoint. Right. right? Like He was yeah. so defeated. Yeah. But when he said that, that to me signaled how interested he is, how passionate he is about this idea yeah. of an ICO. So he finally convinces Richard to do it. They go to Monica. Monica gets all uptight about it, sees it as a direct threat to them being the VC. What are your thoughts about that? Do you really think VCs would react like that? I think VCs would feel threatened because obviously if they're leading around or they're the only investor in a round or whatever, they're going to have a lot more control. You know, they can dictate, okay, I want two board seats. I want these protective provisions. I want X, Y, and Z. In an ICO, first of all, the the biggest thing about an ICO is that it, it's not a share of stock in a company. And so there are a lot of questions as to whether ICO investors are entitled to the same statutory protections as shareholders in a corporation. So that's a big thing. And then the other thing is, if you're not a shareholder in a corporation, you technically have no right to elect board of directors members. So that that gets into a big control of the company issue. I think from a VC's perspective, if a, when your portfolio companies does ICO, well, it's going to save you on dilution. Your company's now going to have a boatload of money with, unfortunately, seeming very little obligation right, right for that money. Obviously, Monica knows a lot about it. She talked about being a utility token, which... Yep. We have proven that Pied Piper really is a utility token. And utility token is just like it sounds. It's something that can actually be used to do something. 
as opposed to a lot of the fraud ICOs that have been released or now being uh, investigated or shut down by the SEC over the last six to 12 months, those didn't really have any utility. That was just another way of selling non-stock, right? Yeah. Just some unit of ownership in a company which wasn't treated like stock, like you mentioned, Aaron. You don't get any rights to it. You don't get to vote. You don't get any sort of dividend rights. You don't get the right to sue the company, right? If some sort of derivative action. It's basically a profits interest. Yeah. Yeah. And with you know, with very little uh, history or regulation around it. So at least with the utility token, you're buying something in advance that you're going to use in the future. In this ex- in this scenario, credits on the open internet. Right. So Monica obviously understands it very well. Monica got really, really defensive, really, really fast about that. And I couldn't tell if that was just them trying to ham up the plot or they're really, you know, someone out there thinks that there is this kind of dividing line between ICOs and VCs. I can tell you, most of the VCs that I've spoken with, the ones that we represent when we talk to them about ICOs, they just think it's a passing fad. Right. Now, there are a handful of VCs that are out there. I mean, there were some crypto funds that have been created, right? right? To invest just into different cryptocurrencies. Aaron, you started dabbling in cryptocurrency for a little while, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Should we take a look at what my uh, yeah. Coinbase what, account looks like? On a uh, percentage basis, are we up or down this year? Oh, we're definitely down. It's just a question of how far down are we? Well, Aaron, you know, markets are volatile. I would think a 3 to 8% decrease would be reasonable. Uh, yeah. I'm at about uh, 75% of my <laughs> initial investment. <laughs> Uh, that's just funny for me every time. So yeah, be careful <laughs> investing into crypto. I will. I'll be honest about it. I am slowly but surely buying up a little crypto every every week. Just you know, a few bucks here and there, just to build a portfolio. I think it's interesting. Putting your whole retirement, <laughs> whole retirement yeah. fund, and the uh, VW four hundred one k. Putting that in there as well. So we're very uh, bullish on it. Okay, so. Monica, at the beginning of the episode, anyways, is very anti-token. And, of course, she changes her mind. We'll get back to that in a sec. Let's kind of go on a diversion here, Aaron, and talk about the silly Dinesh versus Danny issue. Yeah. I. Why? Why is he, why is he still on the show? They're all losing their Teslas. Yeah. Except for, I can't remember her Except name. Except for the one that Joanne Dinesh, or something like that. Yeah. Dinesh said he would pay for. Right. Which yeah. was kind of funny. Yeah. And then I, when she was on the phone, she says, my boss said he'd buy me a car. Yeah. And then her reaction right after that. Right. So you can only imagine what her friend on the other end of the phone yes. was uh, implying or inferring, excuse me, from uh, Dinesh buying the employee a car. But yeah, Dinesh is thankfully losing his Tesla. So that plot line is going to have to go away. Who knows what they'll do next? That plot line will not go away. But, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll, they'll uh, just start to slowly pull his character into the background. Mm-hmm. I loved Guilfoyle. I loved how passionate Guilfoyle was about the project just because he created a uh, PowerPoint. But then they get in the meeting with Lori and he's, he's really uh, asking to take a backseat or, or offers to go stand outside right. during the meeting. So yeah, Guilfoyle's character, fantastic. All the meanwhile, Gavin is having a meeting with his uh, brain trust and he's ticking off all the countries where they can go do work, right? Uh, Yao's got China circled up. They can't go to Bangladesh because I can't Union? remember. Do they unionize? unionize or maybe that was Laos. Yeah. And then someone says, "Well, how about in America?" Gavin responds with an "Fu." And the uh, and the guy who proposed it said, "Yes, I thought so myself." So they go to small town North Carolina, and uh, Gavin just railing on the mayor. Yeah, and he, <laughs> Gavin tries to connect with his uh, with his very blue collar <laughs> right. audience by saying that he that. 
<laughs> he lives. He has a home, a second home in Bermuda, in Bermuda which is right off, off the, the coast, coast of North Carolina. Yeah. And then at the at the very end, it finds out that the IRS is doing an inquiry because they found out about the home in Bermuda. Right. I thought that was hilarious. This whole kind of Gavin, like you said, trying to be at the common man and speaking in front of a podium while they're holding up their signs and. They've got the band playing, and then they've got the acapella group, yeah. right, is singing for him as he's leaving. There. And then you see Aaron. So he gets into his jet, yeah. and then the, the jet engines. engines come on, and right. they just blow the sign. I thought that was hilarious. I thought the whole show was fantastic. Yeah. So that's going on with Gavin. Lori, at the end, goes to meet with Yao. Yes. Right? Yes. So she just raised her new fund, and she's promising. So she put some pretty ridiculous numbers inside of her prospectus right. to go raise more money to make up for the ECLO disaster. Right. So you think those th- two things are related? Well, I think so. And the other thing that Monica brings up is that, I guess, in the prospectus for this new fund, some of the assumptions were premised on the fact that Pied Piper would either sell ads or... So 70% of their revenue. So I'm wondering if Lori, if Yao is somehow going to be some sort of a... Um, remember that episode where where Dinesh was having people in India or in Bangalore or one of the cities in India were all signing up his user accounts, right? Mm-hmm. And when Dinesh was the hot CEO for a, a couple of weeks. Right. So I wonder if what Lori's going to be doing in China, if it has anything to do with Boxer. I don't really... I'm not sure yet. So Lori has promised... And put it in writing, which is a scary thing to do, right? That Pied Piper's going to have 70% of its revenues. So Monica uses that to realize that, you know what? Me and Lori really aren't partners. She doesn't see me as her equal. Yeah. They put the hairy, the question, hairy mark question mark back in her office, which we hadn't seen in a season or so. And so Monica you know, has this realization that while she is working for VC, and she had a pretty sweet job, it looked like, there for a little while. Yeah. She's really not. And Lori's just going to be Lori, right? This is the Lori that just walks around selling off Fiona. Right. right, and spinning off Eklo with with really no conscience about it. So Monica decides after you know being offered by Richard decides to uh, I guess she's going to quit the uh, fund and go work for Pied Piper. And at the end there, they have their ICO and they're watching the price and they need to be at sixty dollars. I think he said sixty something. Yeah, and it's at seven cents. Yes. So that was pretty funny. But then they they cut to Lori right there talking to Yao. I'm not sure if those are related. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I'm sure they are. I just don't see it right. yet. Yeah. A couple legal points from this episode. We did have Ron Laflamme. My favorite character. I love his little necklace or chain or whatever he's always wearing. It looks like he got it on vacation down in Cabo or something. It looks like he's always on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So he was great. I love how Monica busts in right as Richard had finished signing that last agreement, right? He had just signed it and we're just, oh, it's too late. I just signed. And what does Laflamme do, Aaron? I can just tear this up. <laughs> just so you guys understand, first of all, the agreement would need to be countersigned. Right. So I don't know if it's countersigned yet or not, but then it needs to be delivered. Now, I don't want to confuse people. If you have a written contract and it's been executed and everyone's performing under it, and then you just tear it up, does that render it <laughs> inapplicable? Does that no. render it void now, Aaron? No. Well, and I also want to go back to your point that it needs to be countersigned. A contract only needs to be signed by the party against whom enforcement is sought. Mm-hmm. So, unless there is a provision in that contract stating, hey, this is only binding if it's signed by all the okay, parties. Okay, so let's go through that. So, if Richard signed it, mm-hmm. and then Monica did not sign it, and like you said, it only needs to be signed by Richard, but Monica hasn't done anything, then right. there's a contract in place. If it's an investment contract, she would have to have invested the money in order for it Right, to- and that's what I'm looking right. for. There have to be some sort of performance. Right. So... After a couple of days, if she hasn't executed it, 
and she hasn't invested the money. Right. Now, let's just say she invested the money, and then a week later, she says, oh, I didn't want to sign this. I don't, I'm not going to sign it, so the right. contract, send me my money back. I think you have a problem there, because yeah. you would have what's known as acceptance by performance. Right. So we're getting way into the weeds of contract law here. Couple of points. One, it's best if you just have your contract signed. But like Aaron pointed out, just because it's not signed doesn't, in fact, render it unenforceable. Right. Two, if you're at your attorney's office and you sign a contract and he hasn't yet delivered it to the other side, the attorney can just say, you know what, we're not signing the contract. Right. Someone would have to know that it was, it was delivered. Now, if you're all sitting around a closing table, once you sign it, then you're done. Right. And if you wanted to back out of it, then you all have sort of kind of rescission issues or breach of contract. That could go a very long way, but I, I thought that was really funny the way that uh, Monica comes busting and don't sign it and Richard's so upset. Laflamme saves the day. Right. And even I would argue that even if you're sitting around a closing table, if you've signed it and you haven't quote unquote delivered it, because mm-hmm. I mean, we do this all the time where we might exchange signature pages with attorneys on the other side and say, hey, these are hold these in escrow until I release them. Closing. Let's use this as an opportunity to explain how this generally would happen, yeah. right? Because no one sits around closing tables anymore. Nope. Everyone, Everything's done electronically. In fact, most of our Series A, Series B subscription documents say this will close at our office on Friday at noon or at the Investors Council office on Friday at noon via remote exchange or remote delivery of documents. Note the exchange or delivery language. But typically, what's going to happen is one side's going to prepare the documents. Aaron, in your experience, a Series B round, who's preparing the documents? Investor counsel. Probably investor counsel is going to prepare the documents. They're going to send them over to company. Company counsel will review them, make changes. You finally get to the point to where we are ready to execute. All the changes have been made. So at that point in time, each attorney or the attorney's staff will go out and get all of their signature pages done. So we are now holding, let's just assume we're company side, we are now holding all the signature pages for our company. Investors counsel is holding signature pages for his or her client, the investor. And then the attorneys usually say, and sometimes there's a call with all the parties on board. Everyone says, okay, all documents are in hand. As soon as we wire, we will consider this closed. So what will happen is the attorneys will hold them in escrow. Or what I might do is say, investor counsel, I'm going to send you my signature pages so you can start compiling the closing book. Hold those in escrow until we get wire confirmation. And that's usually... What happens because each attorney for the for the other side wants to check the signature pages to make sure, hey, do we have everything that we need in order to feel comfortable closing signed? Exactly. Are, are we comfortable? Then we can go tell our client. So then what would happen is we would send the signature pages to investor attorney, say, hold these in trust. They would check them and say, yep, everything's here. Everything looks good. They call their client, say wire. As soon as the wire goes out, there would usually just be a mutual agreement. Okay, we are now closed. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes you say, here's the wire fed reference number. Right. Now we are closed. In the hundreds of venture deals that we have done, I have never gotten to the closing table when they said they're going to wire or pay and they did not. Yeah. Right? Have you ever seen it, Aaron? No. I mean, if you get far, that far down the road, the deal is probably going to close. I think we've mentioned this before, maybe in different podcasts. I've seen one time where someone pulled out pretty close to close, maybe a week, but I've never gotten inside of a week. Right. See, I'm sure it happens, yeah. right? But just yeah, yeah. very rarely. Yeah. All right, so always great to see Ron Laflamme. That guy's like infallible. He never does anything wrong. He's always super chill. As as are most startup players. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think it's an accurate depiction. Uh, there's a Russ Hanneman sighting, right? Are, yeah. Russ, Russ is one for 36 in yeah. his ICOs. But really, he's zero for 36 because he doesn't he have can't, the flash can't find drive. it, and the, the guy finds a thumb, which yes, is hilarious. Not a thumb drive. <laughs> but Russ is if they can find it. This is such a microcosm of, I think, how this works. Like, if I could find that thumb drive, then I will be successful, right? Because that'll pay for all of them. But he forced all of his companies to go yeah. get ICOs. Yeah. That was great. 
Okay, Aaron. And then the last topic that we haven't discussed is Jared is getting into this battle, kind of a psychological warfare with Holden. Richard's intern, but also the first-year lawyer. Yes. His job is similar to a first-year lawyer's job here. Yeah, (laughs) making sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about this thing? I'm not sure what to make of it. I can't tell if this is all in the intern's head or if there really is some sort of psychological warfare going on with Jared. Well, Jared seemed to be upset or a little dismayed that he made such a good sandwich or that Richard said. And then Jared saw right through it, right? I think Jared's super perceptive. But he was kind of, I don't know, the way he was walking after him briskly. and There's something going on there. I don't know if I think Jared just must see this guy gunning for his job. Well, Aaron, I'm not sure how many episodes are left when you should check. It's probably another three. I really enjoyed this episode. I am optimistic that the show can get back on track. Really cool topics. I think the theme of ICO versus the VC. Now, they did wrap that up in a little bow, right? Because now the ICO has already been launched. They could have done a whole couple of episodes about launching the ICO. I understand anyone out there, we know that timeframes have to be accelerated. I mean, that was a stupid pace, ludicrous speed, or what was the speed above ludicrous speed? I thought it was, I thought it went insane and insane then ludicrous. and ludicrous speed. Yeah. yeah. It would take months to do that. You have to write a white paper and get all these documents put out there. So don't think an ICO can happen that quickly, but curious to see if the value goes up any or if they just move forward to the Series B. Oh, you, you brought this up. You said this briefly. Note that they're planning on giving up control in the Series B. They said they're giving her two more board seats. I can't remember how many she has. I think she's got two out of five right now. So that'd give her four out of seven, I believe. They just really glossed over that. Now, they did say a couple times, give up control, give up control. But man, that is something. When you get there, there's a good chance you're going to give up control. Yeah, A very good chance you give it up, not to one single entity organization, but investor control. That Most late-stage companies, that's the way it goes. Or it's three common, three investor, and one independent so that no one has control. But I do want to point that out. That should come back up, this whole giving up control part. All right, so that wraps up the Silicon Valley review of season five, episode seven. As always, questions or comments, email us podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. You can find our show notes on our blog at VelaWoodLaw.com or via the link in the iTunes episode description. Before we go, remember, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Silicon Valley review. Five stars only. Thank you. Please write a review. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at